Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Try Faster podcast presented by the Fort Worth Tri Club, where we dive into specific triathlon training and coaching tips, discuss current triathlon news and races. And in today's episode, we have a big one. Um, but first, let me introduce um, Keith Kotar, my coach and co-host. How you doing, Keith? Pretty good. Glad to be back home. Yeah, back home because you um, were out in St. George, 70.3 Worlds. That's going to be a big piece of our conversation. We want to cover the men's and women's pro race because they were both extremely exciting to watch. But Keith, why don't you give us a recap on your age group race? How did everything go? What was the course like? Give us the rundown. So it was uh, largely the same as last year course-wise. We talked about that a little bit on the last episode, Um, but it was pretty cool race morning. Um, Back when I got my slot back in June, I was very much on the fence about going because of the weather. And then naturally leading up to the race, it seemed like it was pretty warm. And then race week, it just dipped down. The uh, The women's race was a lot colder than us, so they had it a little bit worse. I think it was about 35 at race time for them. And for me, by the time I got in the water, it was probably about 42 or so. Um, the water temp was 62. So um, there was a little bit of anticipation i think leading up to the start of the race as to whether or not there was going to be a swim you know they had talked about it on on pro tri news about maybe the swim being canceled and iron man adopted the world triathlon rules a few years ago for most things and so um their little chart that's like an air to water temperature conversion chart said that it was below the minimum to have a swim and so it should have been like if it was a world triathlon race it would have been canceled um, but then Ironman, since they can do their own thing, decided to, to have the race, which was probably the right decision given the, the forecast. Um, but I do think it was kind of funny that Ironman didn't follow the World Triathlon guideline for the swim. But then after the race, they were asked about a 20-meter draft zone because of some of the penalties and things like that. And their head referee said that that's up to World Triathlon because we follow World Triathlon rules, so we won't go to 20 unless they do. Um, okay. <laughs> so so they do follow World Triathlon rules according to the referee unless it doesn't suit what they want to do. So yeah. um, that's what like, that's what we learned about Ironman. Do you so the obviously everyone was talking about the weather, how cold it was. But frankly, the water was so much warmer than the air temp. I, I completely understand getting out of the water now you're wet and you're in cold uh air, but like was it really that bad because of like the water probably just felt like a warm bath considering you were getting in from 34 degrees. Yeah. Um, it, it really wasn't that bad. The leading up to it in the morning, like when it was dark, it was pretty cold mm-hmm. and I was already completely numb when I got to the, the starting line, <laughs> like hands and feet were gone. And so I was pretty nervous, you know, because since age groupers don't get to warm up, you really have no idea how cold the water is. Um, and not only do age groupers not get to warm up, but because of the women's race the day before, the men weren't allowed to swim unless you swam two days before. Um, so I didn't get there early enough for that. Um, so I had no idea how cold it was going to be, but I actually got in and it was pretty nice. Um, and so I had a good swim for me, um, kind of comparing it to the the guys that I raced frequently. Um, I was much closer than the last couple times we raced. So, um, you know, one of the guys that I compare myself to pretty often, I think he beat me by like eight minutes the last time we raced a 70.3 and it was like three and a half minutes this last Ouch. weekend. So, uh, I felt pretty good about that. 
You didn't miss a buoy or anything? No, I don't think so. I mean, they all looked like the same color in the sunlight, but I, I think I made it all the way. Um, but I started a little bit more conservatively. There ended up being 477 guys in my age group. And so I got in probably, I was probably the last 100, 120 that got in. And it, I think that maybe that probably helped me swim a little bit faster. There were some interruptions, you know, with guys that were starting to breaststroke or drown or something. Um, but for the most part, it kind of felt nice cruising past people the whole time. Um, and for the first time ever, and we'll, we'll get to that uh, in, a, in a couple of minutes, but my swim was ranked higher than my bike and run and my bike was ranked higher than my run. So I think for the first time ever, my run was the lowest ranked of the three sports. So, um, but the swim was good. I got out. I, I only wore a speedo under my wetsuit. And I had my tri suit in my T1 bag. Um, so if you haven't been to this race, they, they have you run to like a little changing area. You get a bag with your helmet and whatever else you want to put in it. And then you have like a little changing area and you drop the bag with a volunteer and then they send it over to the start. So I dried off. I put a towel in there. I had my bike shoes in there, helmet, gloves, undershirt, tri suit, everything was in the bag. Um, Normally I'd have my shoes on the bike, but I was worried about not having enough feeling in my hands to be able to put them on, um, which ended, I ended up being fine, but it was, a, it probably didn't lose. It cost me a ton of time, but I dried off completely, put on an undershirt, put on my tri suit. Um, it was a long sleeve undershirt. So I didn't have to worry about arm warmers. And, um, I ran barefoot till I got to my bike and then I put my bike shoes on, took the bike out. Um, and I was pretty much good all day, temperature-wise. I got a little warm going through Snow Canyon. And um, other than that, though, it was it was pretty good. Um, I had a couple mechanical issues. One, I'm not sure what happened, but my right cleat, I don't know if it was the vibration, if it was running in my bike shoes, which I never do. Um, but my right cleat came almost all the way off. And I stopped about halfway into the race and tightened it back up. So that probably cost me about 90 seconds or so. Um, but I had told you too, after the race that my, I was feeling kind of draggy on the bike. And so I tried to figure that out while I was stopped and I did not. Um, I took my bike to the bike shop the other day and it turns out that my rear brake was tensioned more on one side than the other side. So that when I was going really fast and the wheel started to, to vibrate or if I was putting down a lot of power, it was rubbing on one side, but only at certain speeds and only at certain power numbers so that All explains a lot wow yeah so that explains a lot of that um it probably wasn't a lot but it was probably a couple minutes but when you look at how bad the run was it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that also probably burned my legs up for sure yeah you have oversized derailleur pulleys um you're doing everything you can to be as quick and arrow as possible and then you show up to, it's it's funny it's comical i'm sorry but i'm laughing at it but you show up to a race and you're your brake is rubbing. <laughs> yeah. And like, the thing is it wasn't rubbing. And, yeah. Every once in a while I, I get it on this bike, but I, I couldn't hear it, you know, and usually yeah. I can hear it. And the day before I took it out and I usually intentionally like get in a big gear and go up a hill to try to get the wheel to yeah. flex as much as possible. Um, and so I don't know if it got banged around in the car. I don't know if it, something happened to it in transition, but it was just a little bit tighter on one side. Um, mm -hmm. So, that was unfortunate did, and go ahead. Bummer. Did you, um, we were texting before the race with the weather 
and like, hey, your power output, maybe upping it a little bit, especially in the beginning, hitting threshold just to get the body temp going. Did you end up like adjusting your power plan for the bike at all? So I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast or not, but my power meter has been kind of funky lately. So I haven't actually, I've just been riding by feel the last couple of months. Um, but I think I have fixed my power meter as of this morning. How do you, how can you even ride by feel? It's impossible. It's It's kind of hard. Um, yeah, but at St. George though, the, some of the Hills are hard enough that I felt like you're just kind of stuck. Like it is what it is. (laughs) So, uh, you can't really help it if you want to keep moving. No, I get it. um, Yeah. But for training purposes, I would have been like, that's a big bummer because we're going to talk about gear here a little bit later. Um, cause that's the other part segment of this conversation is we're each going to kind of cover our own triathlon related gear, swim, bike, run. Um, so I don't think I said that at the start. Power meters are so important though. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been kind of strange. I think I figured it out. I have an old, I have a vector two set of vector two pedals and, um, I think everything works out. So I borrowed a set of vector threes from my assistant coach. And this morning I did a little test on the trainer. Sorry that we're, we're kind of moving away from the race for a second, but I think this is kind of relevant um, or it's interesting if you have vector pedals, but uh, the vector two still has the little pod that you have to reset every time you switch bikes. And the vector three is the first iteration without the pod. And so um, in the manual, whenever you switch bikes, you have to reset the, the install angles of the pods. And it says to do it on the trainer or on a flat road. And so my power meter has been acting up on and off a lot lately, but mostly for about the last year. And my diagnosis after doing a little power test, I did um, two minutes at 80 cadence in every gear, two through eight with both pedals this morning, and they read nearly identically. So my diagnosis is that resetting the install angles on flat road is probably not accurate enough because up until a year ago when I was teaching, I rode almost exclusively on the trainer. And then once I stopped teaching, I rode almost exclusively on the road. So what happened was whenever I would switch bikes, I was resetting the install angles on the road instead of the trainer. And I think that that has what, that's what's been causing my power issue is that the install angles aren't quite right when you do it on the road, unless it's completely flat. Um, So yeah, this morning I got on the trainer and just like going easy, I was doing power numbers that I haven't seen doing like VO two max workouts. And so I think that was the, uh, the problem this whole time. Okay. So note to everyone listening, they're kind of old vector twos. They have the pods that hang down from them. Sounds like a void at all costs. Um, vector three and beyond, I think there's only, they're up to the four. Yeah. But then they also have like vector rallies. Like you can switch the pedal bodies and different stuff. You don't have to do any of that. So I have yeah. the Vector 3s, and they're pretty much flawless. Minus when they first came out, there was some some issues there, but since then, they've been flawless. Yeah, so okay. back um, to the race. I was, I was in a hurry to get a, a pair of pedals because I was like, I can't go through an off-season like this, but now that I think I've got it figured out, we'll see. But mm-hmm. I am planning to get a rally set here at some point. Um, so yeah, back to the race. Um, it, was, it was good. I, I had some guys that I kind of rode with on and off most of the time. Um, not in a good way. Like it was kind of annoying. I was catching them on the ups and then they were flying past me on the downs. Um, but, uh, the bike course is hard and I thought I was prepared and I remembered how hard snow Canyon was, but 
it was still a beating. Um, I did, according to Strava, I went through the Snow Canyon section two minutes faster than last year. So that means it must have been really awful last year. Um, but uh, basically, by the time I got to the top, though, I, my legs were just done. Um, mm-hmm. And I got on the run. Um, and probably another thing on the bike is I think I underfueled a little bit just because there were so many guys, 4,200 guys on the bike course all at the same time. Um, plus the twists and turns and downs. And I don't think I was able to take my hands off the handlebars enough to think about drinking. And so I probably only drank about half of my bottle, um, as opposed to usually I try to get at least like two thirds, three quarters of the way through. Um, so I think I was a little bit underdone when we got on the, on the calorie side. Um, and then getting onto the run, it was basically like three miles kind of up and then three miles kind of down and then like four miles up and then three miles down and then a mile back up to the finish. Um, and I felt pretty bad through three miles. I was running, I think about seven forties and I was like, I'm going to be out here forever. And then it starts to go down and I didn't realize that it was really just like this big long false up for a section. Um, and then I went and started running like six fifteens. And so I ran the next three miles at about six fifteen or so. Um, and then went back up and then just started dying again. And then I just died the rest of the way. Um, at about nine, my, I was pretty much done. My upper body started to cramp up a little bit. The lower body was pretty bad. Um, and even the downhill section couldn't save me. So, uh, I made it to the end. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't quite what I was hoping for, but you know, it's cool to go out there. World championships are pretty neat. Lots of people. Um, you might say that there were too many people. I think that's, but, um, I wanted to ask so that. Cool. How did St. George handle that number of people? Cause we were both there a year ago and it was a pretty big race, but they had men and women on the same day and now they're splitting it, which I think is, was great for, it was great for the coverage. It was great for, to give the women their own day. But, um, I have no idea about Kona. I suspect it might be similar and strain to St. George. How does the city handle that many people? Did they handle it well? It seemed like it was it was pretty good. I think the hardest thing was parking on the men's day because, you know, just like from a numbers perspective, there were twice as many men this year as there were men and women last year. And then there were about as many women as there were total people. So, like, you're looking at, like, a, a 200% increase, right? Um, and so the parking on the men's day with over 4,000 athletes out there, that, that was kind of tough. Um but other than that, I think it was pretty good. Um, cost wasn't crazy. Uh, we were able to get, you know, four people to St. George and back in lodging gas meals. We spent less than a thousand dollars. So, um, it wasn't like an exorbitant cost, like it would have been to go to, to Kona. Um, that's, that's so. really good. I don't think you, you're doing it right because I don't think many people probably beat you on the cost side of things. Yeah. And maybe that's an episode for the future you know, um, cost efficient travel. Um, but yeah, we left Wednesday morning and we drove about 14 hours and went to Flagstaff, Arizona on Wednesday and then, uh, went to St. George on Thursday. It was only like five more hours. Uh, we were in St. George Thursday night, Friday night, left Saturday, got to Gallup, New Mexico, and then finished on Sunday. So, uh, we had four nights of, four nights of two nights of hotel, two nights of an Airbnb and, and, uh, it was good. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We kept it cost effective. Awesome. So 
not the race that you wanted, which is a bummer. But the St. George course, I've raced it twice. That was your second time, right? We've both been out there twice. Right. It's pretty yeah. awesome. If you've never been to St. George, you're looking for a triathlon, 70.3. Or they do the Ironman out there every other year, I think. And that's still the plan going forward. Um, highly recommended. Highly recommended. Are you going to try to go back again or are you done with St. George for a while? I, I have I have no interest really in going back to St. George. Um, <laughs> not to race. It, I think it would be fun to go back with like a road bike and train and ride around. Um, but the race with the number of people out there and not, I don't know that it, it's not a course that really fits my skill set. I don't think so. Yeah. I think yeah. though the regular race, non-world you only, you were there for two world championship events. Um, it is different, different feel. Um, so that was, so for most age groupers, if you're not trying to go to a world championship, do that race. It's in May. I think registration is already open for that. Um, so that, that's a really cool one to, to go out on. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely nice. It's pretty, and there's a lot to see and it's just, uh, yeah, not my kind of a, a course. So we should probably, since we've talked so much about St. George, jump into the professional race. Usually we do the race results in conversation later. We've talked so much about it. Let's do that. But I'll give a quick update myself on, on my current training. It's, it's short, it's brief. Um, cause as many of you know, I did the Chicago marathon now a month ago, took about two weeks off, just a couple weeks of super e very few, super easy workouts. And now we're at about now two weeks of getting back into things of easy workouts. And my only question to you, Keith is when do we actually start picking things back up? Cause I'm getting tired of doing easy workouts. Uh, I think I'm targeting next week. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're getting there. But we need to we need to kind of chat about goals too. So yeah, we can do that um, separately. And I'm just tired of doing easy runs. Like I can feel like these. I'm like starting to push the easy pace a little bit, just because when you have too much easy on the schedule, your brain kind of gets bored of it. That's my take. Okay. Yeah. Let's get into the race recap. So um, really cool again that they had the women separate from the men. Um, let's start with the women's race. We both predicted Taylor Nib, right? Yeah, yeah it was hard Nib, to right? see a way that she lost. It, and after the race, we were both right. She made us look brilliant because she dominated. She was right there with the front group on the swim, seriously blew away the bike. Uh, and her run was incredibly fast, and she used the porta potty once. Um, and I think the porta potties in St. George are labeled got poop. So that's that's pretty funny. So she stopped in the got poop uh, stalls and was still able to have one of the top runs of the day. So, I mean, clearly the most dominant athlete, 70.3 or below out there right now. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think did we both pick Lucy to be second? I had Lucy second. I can't recall where you had her. And then uh, I feel like I, I Paula picked Paula third. for the, yeah. Um, so... Maybe we have, we must have had it swapped somewhere because we weren't identical, um, and we were pretty close. I mean, I had Lucy um, coming on the podium; she just missed it. I had Paula in third; she had a great race and ended up second, which is a phenomenal race for her. I thought. Yeah, for sure, and uh, just I think getting into that group on the bike was big for her um, to be able to come off with. Uh, she came off the bike with Flora and Lucy and. Um, 
thought that there was a group of four, but maybe I think it was just the three of them that came off the bike together. Uh, but that set her up pretty nicely. I mean, Flora, I thought maybe would have run a little bit faster, but she also doesn't have a ton of experience at, at 70.3, even though she's done well. Um, you know, and she's also probably focused a little bit more on the Olympic distance right now with yeah. the last two uh, WTCS races coming up. I think, you know, one of the things that stood out to me is coming off the bike, it was Flora, Lucy, and Paula, and there's pictures of them running side by side, like step for step, starting yeah. starting off the bike. And I'm not surprised necessarily that Paula was able to break away from them. But I think it is something after, you know, she's had some injury over the last 12 months. Um, she's had some really good performances. She faltered in the heat a little bit in Dallas. Um, so there, there was like some question marks around, I guess, consistency, uh, but never around performance. Um, it, so I was a little surprised, though, to say, hey, was she going to run away from that group? Um, and she did. She did it really well. One thing that I was also, another kind of surprise to me was how far back Emma Pallant Brown was coming off the bike did she have yes. a mechanical or anything did something happen to her she was I, tearing through the field on the run and it was just a matter of time um she ended up third but she could have ended up a lot better off if she was she was there coming out of the swim but she wasn't there off the bike right and i'm not sure what happened i was watching the the live coverage until about halfway through the bike and i'm not really sure what happened but she got split off somewhere um, and Holly Lawrence got dropped too, cause she was up toward the front of that group for a while. Um, and then Paula, Lucy and, and Flora ended up pulling away. And, and I don't mm -hmm. know if there's anything that caused that or if it was just the course. I mean, that course is hard and, you know, I know that like the legal draft is kind of the thing, but it's, I think there's enough up and down that even if you're in the legal draft, it's going to break things up. So uh, I'm looking right now to kind of see if we can find on the, like where, where she got dropped because when you're watching the live coverage too, you only see a couple people. So you're not really uh, getting like the full picture, yeah. but, um, yeah, it looks like she must've gotten dropped pretty early because she's, yeah, looking at the tracker, she's already 20 seconds off Paula by five miles. So she just, she missed the group. She had a plan, maybe. I mean, maybe she knew she wasn't going to push some of those hills. And I'm sure all the athletes coming out, there's a couple. They're not huge. They're gradual climbs out of, of um, what's it called? The swim area. Hollow. Um, I can't remember the name of that lake. Sand Hollow. Sand Hollow. So there's a couple gradual climbs. And I'm sure people were just killing the power. Um, especially when, if it was early, they were probably trying to say, hey, can I hang uh, with Taylor Nib? And the answer yeah. was very quickly determined no, but they were maybe trying for a little bit. Yeah, and actually the the start is what changed on the bike course, and I actually think it made it easier to try to stay with the group because oh. it wasn't, um, you know, last year we we kind of like left the park and you went up that big hill. And this time you stayed inside the park and then took what would have been the equivalent of going right out of the park instead of left. And hmm. that took you kind of on a long flat straight. And then there's like a right-handed U-turn and then you ended up 
back on the the same part that basically picking up where we left off last year. Okay. Um, and so it added a few miles in the beginning. I'm not sure where they cut the miles though later. I wasn't able to figure that out while I was out they there because a lot no. of it looked <laughs> largely the same. Yeah, maybe that's why I felt so bad. <laughs> but uh, the beginning, I thought actually the first maybe seven or so miles was more friendly to being in a big group. But evidently, they were going so hard in the beginning that that uh, it still split things up. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, Taylor, please, if you're listening to this, can you do an Ironman? I really want to see Taylor do an Ironman. I think I've said that in every episode we've talked about her. Uh, Jesus, she's so good. 2029. I can't wait. That'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, Ben Canute is the guy that we want to see do an Ironman. He signed up, by the way. I don't know if you saw the Arizona start list. Not yet. Uh, You go check a Ben Canute is on the Arizona start list. So we can, we can, um, we can, we'll get that in a couple weeks. Oh, good. All right, I haven't checked. Doesn't mean they'll show up. The Iron Man start lists are usually total trash because everyone signs up. But um, he's on it. Sam Long is on it. Uh, Who else was on there? Let's see: Matt Hansen, Joe Skipper, Chris Leiferman, Kyle Buckingham, Trevor Foley, Hogan Haug, Werf Metzler. Uh, This is a pretty good group. Matt Russell, Mm -hmm. uh, Bart Arnutz, Nick Chase, Adam Fye. Wow, there's a lot of guys. Kevin Collington. Yeah, no, it's, a good, it's going to be a good. Holy it's going to be a good race. Yeah, um, there must be. Let's see. They start at number thirty and go all the way to seventy-six. So forty-seven guys. That's a. It's a big race. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch. That's one like sometimes has a good race, a pro race. Sometimes it doesn't. It's definitely definitely worthwhile to watch. I was kind of yeah. sad we don't see Lionel on there. He did allude that he's going to be back racing at some point this year. That he had his baby. Um, him and his wife had had their baby, um, I think a couple weeks ago, just right after Kona, a week or two after Kona. So congrats to them. But he, he did say in his most recent post that he'll be back to racing. He's not on that start list, though. And it doesn't look like he's on Cozumel either. So. He just hasn't put, put his name in yet, but I wonder where he'll show up. Like, he lives in Tucson, so it makes sense if he shows up in Arizona. He has a Maybe baby. he's like, going to try uh, and travel. I don't think so. Maybe he's going to do um, a 70.3 and go to Indian Wells or something like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep, Sam's on that list too. There's a lot of people on that list. Um, that might make more sense. Yeah. Okay, okay so the men's Let's switch race. it over to the men's side. Go ahead. You heard it here first. Ben Canute on the podium. <laughs> and it did happen. It did. Yeah, so, I mean, I was surprised. Overall, like... That was the biggest shocker to me because, like as I mentioned in the last the preview, uh, obviously he has the speed for it. his swim is, you know, first class. He's going to be there coming out of the water, but I didn't think he had enough bike and run combination to stay with the front guys. And he hasn't had a great year. All those things, like you, it's hard to argue those. He the uh, he proved me wrong. Yeah, and the way that he had to do it too, he kind of let a little bit of a gap go, I guess, at the end of the ride. And then bridged up on the run um, to catch Christian and then put the hurt on him too. He didn't just catch him and sit there. He he tried to make a move and, and push the pace and you know that that's pretty awesome. I'm I'm really uh impressed with that. I'm glad that he was able to do that. 
Um, I saw some of the numbers, his, their paces. He was attacking Christian. He was going like yeah. sub five minute, 445 pace, trying to really put the hurt to him. Um, so, hey, I like that type of racing. That was extremely cool to see. Like he wasn't just there and like, thank God I'm hanging on. He's like, let me see if I can crack this guy. Yeah, that's that's exciting. I haven't uh, I haven't actually gotten to watch the, the live coverage yet. Um, I've just kind of seen some bits and pieces, but I do plan to go back and, and watch the men's race, you know, on the on the trainer or something uh, here pretty soon, uh, just because that's, uh, it sounds like it was really exciting. Um, but uh, that's pretty, pretty good for him. It's nice to see an American guy on the podium. And, and I think, mm -hmm. you know, I know that Sam Long is the Ironman guy, but I really think that, that Ben's probably our best hope to win Kona the next seven, eight years or so. And as long as he starts doing Ironman, we can see how he performs at that level. The way it is right now, though, you have to be a really good swimmer and a decent biker. You don't have to be an Uber biker. Um, those Uber bikers are usually a little bit too far behind. So yeah, it's, if Ben can hang in there on the bike, yeah, yeah, he can do it. Yeah. And he's still young, you know, he's, he's going to be 30 in a few weeks. And so he's, he's pretty young. He's got plenty of time to figure out Ironman. Um, and he had the fourth fastest ride. I mean, that's, you know, still, uh, with a lot of good guys there, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, let's let's. Um, so I, I did this. Um, Frederick Funk. I think he had the second fastest bike to Ditlev. Yeah. Uh, he posted his power data. We don't have Christian's power data. We don't have. I don't think Ditlev's is out there. We have number two, and his power data over the course of the bike, three hundred thirteen watts average. Three hundred thirty-five normalized. So pretty pretty surgy. Um, and his highest 10 minute peak, which was up snow Canyon, well, which was at the very end of the ride, mind you, for those that, that aren't aware of the course, um, 383 Watts average for 10 minutes. Um, so the, in total 18 minutes and 27 seconds were above 400 Watts. Yeah. That's uh that's wild. Dang. Um, like, I mean, they were to get this type of numbers to get that type of normalized and average, they were attacking probably 350 plus up every incline and at least holding 300 on the downs. That's what it was. I mean, 350 up, 300 down. So there was no relaxation. So if you're an age grouper and you're like, hey, how'd they do that? Or, hey, I can hold 350 up a couple of those hills. You probably can. You might if you're a strong cyclist. But can you do 350 up the hills, 300 down? And then when it gets really steep, can you do 380 for 10 minutes at the end? that's that's tough yeah um and so I'm, I'm looking at frederick funk on the the pto website the uh he doesn't have a mass listed some of these guys have their their height and their weight um but he only has his height you think that's so that we don't know his watts per kilo so interestingly enough i was like looking at the conversations and chat there and people were like what's your what's the watt per kg on that and um, one of his responses is he doesn't even know his weight. He doesn't care. Oh, okay. He doesn't even, he doesn't know his weight. He, he just trains. He puts the power down. He said he didn't have a power plan. He was out there to race the dynamics of the race. So whatever's happening, wherever the surges are going, he's going. And it doesn't matter what the watts per kg are. He doesn't even care. So he's clearly not on Swift. <laughs> yes that then that's what matters so yeah. um but he is kind of a big guy so 
um, you know, that, that there is something to kind of take into account there. I think that he's, he's a thicker guy. He's not super tall. Um, he's about five ten, but he is kind of, it seems like he's on the muscular side. So that might be, you know, he might weigh a little bit more in the seventies as far as kilograms. Yeah. still impressive numbers. Um, yeah. We don't know what he weighs. That's that's kind of cool too, and a whole another conversation for what's the right body type for a triathlete, and does it? Do you need to care about what your weight is, and all those sorts of questions? And you have one of the best bikers in the sport performing on a hilly course, like he doesn't even care, doesn't even know what his weight is. Yeah, that says something. Okay, let's talk about Sam Long for a second because this is this was huge, and everyone you're seeing it everywhere. So like, we don't need to repeat what everyone else is saying but sam got came out of the water a couple minutes behind from the main pack um and he was pushing forward catching up to the main group in front of them i think there were like 25 30 people in the main group there was a breakaway off the front that included many of the a handful of the favorites christian ben etc and as he catches that main group he tries to overpass them very challenging to do with ironman drafting rules for the professionals uh, if you're passing people you have before you can slot in you have to have enough space to slot in so as he's passing 30 people there's nowhere for him to slot in he has to pass all the, the whole train of people that are all just sitting one behind another um, so he's going through that and out of the water he was really close with jackson laundry jackson passes him at one point as he is passing and i guess there's a technical penalty there i'm not sure keith you're better aware of these rules here i don't know i don't understand what the technical penalty is because it's on a section of road that's wide enough no one is drafting or behind one another they're three wide though and it creates a penalty for sam what 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 was the penalty so they said that it was for slotting in and iron man released a video with their head referee after and and he said that the penalty occurred before what we saw in the live coverage so you know, that could be Iron Man just trying to like cover their own ass on it and say, Hey, you guys didn't see the penalty and this is, you know, where it happened. And so it's hard. We can't really make a, a judgment if it really didn't happen in the, the video, but the way that the video goes down, I don't see anything wrong with either of them, you know, Jackson or Sam, you know, I know that some people have, have said that maybe Jackson was trying to get Sam a penalty, but I don't think so. I, when you watch the video, like I don't think Jackson did anything that would have given Sam a penalty. And I think if he was trying to get him a penalty, it would have been obvious. So to me, I think that maybe we have to trust that it happened before the video, but according to what we saw, I didn't see a penalty. According to what we saw, I didn't see one. And according to every pro triathlete that was out there on the course, including in that pack, they're all talking about it and saying there's no no issue there right like yeah. if you're going to have these big packs in 70.3 or even an ironman we have to figure a way to let them through especially a biker that wants to get to the front sam ultimately made it to the front of that big pack and was charging ahead of that big pack before he had to pull off at the penalty tent i mean it's just ridiculous he obviously had made up a deficit to them got to the front and was charging through them he wasn't looking for a free ride there has to be a level of intention here and right. that's something like we 
yes, there's black and white on rules, but there has to be a level of intention because if you're black and white on the rules, then you have to be consistent about it. And I damn well know that the refs are very consistent about drafting. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's and, a little bit of wiggle room when they're in those big packs. Right. And I, I did hear a good compromise. You know, I think on a recent episode, I had said if, if they let pros slipstream pass, would that help with the, the slotting in issue? And maybe a good compromise would be to make the draft zone 20 meters like it is for the PTO events, but allow athletes to slot in up to 12 meters as long as they don't go past the 12 meters. So like they're obligated to make the pass once they're inside 12 meters, but then they can slot in and then move back to 20 meters as long as they don't get closer than 12. Um, that way you can kind of pass one at a time. You know, you can pass a couple, sit at 20 meters, pass a couple, sit at 20 meters, um, and you're not slipstream passing all the way up, but it gives you an opportunity to kind of make the passes a little bit more cleanly. They need to do something. I don't care what they do, but they need to do something. Either make the draft zone, make it bigger so there is more space, but then you can't have 30 athletes hitting the bike course at the same time. It's going to cause just massive issues. Like everyone's going to sprint to get in front of one another, and then they're going to they're going to be contesting each other in weird ways. That would certainly technically then at that point create penalties. Like it would be an issue. So I don't know how they fix it, but hopefully they find a way to fix it because you can't have someone that's actually pushing the pace runs through a field, gets a penalty. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Totally ridiculous. Okay, one one other point I want to bring up. Bitlev, um, again, had a really good performance here as well as he did in Kona. Um, but I want to bring him up because Lionel, in his close to Kona, in one of his closing videos, said, moving forward, he might be looking more at doing 70.3s until he gets the speed up. And he wants to get his speed up, and he like listed off what he has to do. The thing he wants to do in the swim is swim as fast as Ditliff. Because he said, moving forward, if he can't swim as fast as Ditliff, he's kind of that first pack behind the leaders. Um, he's too strong of a cyclist. If he can't be with Ditliff, he's not going to really be in contention at the Ironman distance. So I thought that was like pretty insightful. But then we come to 70.3 Worlds, Ditliff's there. He only swims like 20, 30 seconds behind the lead pack. Yeah, he was right there. That's he was what? 13 seconds behind Blumenfeld. Like, what? Okay, so uh, I heard though. Um, I had to go back and look at it uh, that because I didn't watch the whole swim. The front guys missed a buoy or something happened, so they they were probably 34 more seconds ahead of where they should have been. So that they got brought back a little bit because of that. So, but still, even if you account for 30 seconds to be added to uh, or taken off of those front swimmers, like that that might have been the right size gap. That's still a really good swim with Ditliff. Right, However you look um, at but it. the the front pack was Aaron Royal, Mark Dubrick, and Ben Canute, and so they, what they did was the course was kind of like a it was like a really really long triangle, and essentially what happened was instead of making a ninety degree turn to go across the triangle, they made a, a U turn, and so they ended up starting to come back, and then they had to go back out. So uh, comparing them to the front. You know, maybe it wasn't actually 30 seconds, but when you compare him to like the main pack, he swam in essentially in the main pack. Well, you got to compare him to Ben Canute because Canute was on the podium. That's true. Yeah. And if you had, there's but, a lot of other strong swimmers that weren't there. Yeah. But he came out with, uh, like, if you look at the, the swim times, um, he was out of the water with just 13 seconds behind Christian, 
you know, he was with Brian McMahon, guys that can that can ride, and that's the most important thing. Um, he was probably the last really dangerous cyclist to come out of the water, though. He was 20th out of the water. Um, everybody behind him was essentially 10 minutes slower on the bike, except for Jackson Laundrie, who had a really nice race um, to get up to 7th. He was 29th out of the water. Um, ended up having the ninth fastest ride, sixth fastest ride, got his way up to seventh. Um, but for the most part, you know, Magnus was close enough to get into that group. And that's, that's what matters. And I don't see Lionel getting there anytime soon because we have to scroll pretty long to get to Sam Long. He was, Sam would have made it there because Sam was riding with Jackson. And I think Sam would have had a better finish to that ride. He would have got there, but it would have been at the detriment of his run is what I would be concerned about. Right. Like that's the problem here is like, yeah, maybe you close the gap, but that's the detriment of your run. And that's you, when you have strong runners up there that they do now, you can't, you don't want to, you don't want to use everything you got just to get close. Right. And I'm sure that, you know, Sam being in the back wasn't as motivated, but uh, he wouldn't have had the fastest run in the women's race. So, um, yeah. No, he was you he know. wasn't motivated. He talked about it in his 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 recap. He almost wanted to quit, so he was far from motivated. He almost walked off the course. He said it in T two, um, so not a representative run of where he's at at all. Yeah, and then uh, I think oh. the last thing while we're talking about Magnus, he uh, he left his helmet in T one and got almost out of transition and had to run back and grab it, and so kind of talking about penalties. Um, I don't know if Ironman has a rule for your helmet or not, but you know, world triathlon, you can't touch your bike until your helmet's on and buckled. Uh, USAT adopted that rule that you can't, same thing. You can't touch your bike. Your helmet has to be on and buckled. Um, otherwise it's a DQ. So Ironman did not DQ Magnus. They let him get all the way up to third. Right. Um, and he left his helmet in transition. He ran all the way out without a helmet on. Um, I know we could say that's like, a kind of a dumb rule maybe, but it, the intent is to eliminate any gray area between riding the bike and, and all that. And so, um, I just thought that was interesting that there was no enforcement of that, but then we had the, the same long mysterious slotting in penalty. Well, I, I'm glad they can use their judgment somewhat. Hopefully that's a sign for things to come. Yeah. Fingers crossed. All right, so do you want to jump into some gear real quick? Yeah, let's do it. So, Keith, you got a question, I think, from one of your athletes about what gear do we use? And I, help me understand this before we run through it. Are we talking about gear we use for racing? And we're gonna I think so. Okay. I think it's so mostly we're gonna, race day. Okay, so let's both share, and let's just break it down by order of event, swim, bike, run, what gear we use on race day for each of the disciplines keith what do you what do you use on the swim so for the swim um i just have some tier transition 2.0 goggles i've been swimming with those for a long time they're really wide easy to see um i tried a pair of form goggles um i didn't i found that they weren't super accurate in the pool if you were going really fast or really short um so i've never raced with form goggles i think it would be kind of cool um but I also have a Phoenix five. That's not super accurate in open water. So I don't know that they would do me any good, but I like the wide, the wide vision with the tier. Um, and a lot of they, I feel like they were kind of one of the earlier 
swim goggle models that was super wide and kind of made for triathlon, but there's a ton of options out there now. So if you're looking for swim goggles, there's a lot of, pretty much every brand has a nice wide lens that you can, you can choose from now. Um, my swim skin is uh, Roka Viper 2, I think is what it is. Um, and I got that last year before the summer, knowing that we were probably going to have some uh, non-wetsuit swims. Uh, the wetsuit that I'm currently swimming with is an Xterra. It's the silver one, the Vanquish, I think. Vengeance, that's it. It's the Vengeance. Um, but it's pretty beaten up. It's really, really old. It's seen a lot of races and a lot of training, probably a couple hundred swims. Um, so I'm looking to get a new one. Um, I've narrowed it down to Roka and Zone 3, so I'll keep you guys posted whenever I make that, that final decision on a wetsuit. Um, but Michael, what are you swimming in? Swimming? What's swimming? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, last time I swam was uh 70.3 worlds a year ago so that's it's been a while um but i i don't use the wide goggles that you're talking about i just use normal pool competition tier goggles um and that's what works for me those wider ones don't work on my face i get water no matter what whether they're in a new used nothing works so i have to use a smaller smaller eyed goggle um I do have a wetsuit. I have two wetsuits. One I use in the pools, the old wetsuit, an old Xterra wetsuit that I got when we were in college. Like it's still, it hasn't broken apart too badly. So it's still worthwhile. And then I have a wetsuit from Tier as well. Not their high end one. And I don't remember the name of it, um, but the one just down from that. And that works really well. Loose, a lot looser on the shoulders than the one I had bought like 15 years ago in college much more comfortable uh, i don't have a swim skin so i've done a couple races where it was not wetsuit legal and i just go out there with my triathlon kit yeah and i think the swim skin is pretty nice if you have a loose fitting suit um but uh i don't know that it's a huge time savings but it does feel faster it kind of feels like swimming in the old band fast skin a little bit i'm sure it's a so. couple seconds or you know handful of seconds faster over a given period um yeah. but is it is it worth the uh, investment i don't i probably don't think so it's it is kind of funny when you go to a race i've been to a couple now where it's it's warm and you know you're not going to be able to use wetsuit most triathletes have a wetsuit and you show up everyone is going to the expo and buying those swim skins and they're not giving you a discount i mean those people are making some serious money at those expos when it's warm water that's that's probably the biggest amount of money yeah. to be made is warm water swims sell swim skins yeah and if you're if you're not um at the pointy end of the race you probably don't need a swim skin unless unless your tri-suit really doesn't fit you in which case get a better yeah. fitting tri-suit uh, correct yeah yeah all right let's go to the bike on, tell us on about to your bike, bike Keith. so i have a the original ventum one so it's not quite as cool as the new ventum one um it's rim brake because it's a little bit older um, I have the, the bar setup that came on the bike. So it's, you know, the handle, the base bar and the, the extensions are, um, Ventums. It's, uh, got electronic Durace and I, whenever I bought it, I actually got some unused, used Ventum or, uh, vision wheels, sorry. And so I've got an 80 in the front and a, a vision lenticular disc in the back and, 
Um, it's pretty great. I like I like that. Like we talked about earlier, Vector 2 pedals. Hopefully those will be an upgrade soon. Um, am I missing anything? Saddle? What's your, got this. what's your helmet? Oh, I have a POC Cerebral Race Day helmet. And whenever I picked my Aero helmet, I kind of went through. I looked at all of the brands and kind of the major Aero helmets. And then I looked at pictures of people riding them. And then... I looked at pictures of myself riding and tried to figure out which one was going to fit my riding style the best. So I picked that one because it's kind of like a, it's got kind of, instead of having a tail, it's kind of rounded. It's kind of a rounded tail in the back. Um, it ends up sitting pretty close to my back. Um, and I felt like it's kind of a universal helmet. Like it's somewhere between a traditional aero helmet and a, like an aero road helmet. Um, you know, being an age grouper racing Ironman with busy courses and stuff like that, you're kind of looking around a lot. So I thought that that was kind of the, the happy medium. Um, I think the only thing I'm planning to change is my, my aero bar setup this winter. So again, I'll, I'll give an update when that happens. Cool. Um, so on my bike, I have a Trek speed concept gen two, which is the rim brake one. They're now on to, the disc brake models, but um, yeah, rim brake works well for me. Everything I'm trying to do, uh, it currently has the standard cockpit on it, but I already have the plug-in extension. Uh, I have aero bars and new cups I'm going to be putting on it this winter. Those are the Zip Vuka Alumina. I think I'm saying that right. Um, with a pretty high uh, or with a pretty high angle so I can get a higher hand rise um, from my uh, from my elbows, close that gap a little bit. Sounds like we're both doing you with the helmet. I'm doing it with the aero bars, a little bit of the paper version of the wind tunnel testing. We don't have access to a wind tunnel, but hey, if I can get my hands a little bit higher, I'll look a little bit more pro and maybe that's also a little bit more aero and faster. Hey, it works. I, I, like, I like that approach as well. Um, so those are gonna get installed I hope within the next week or two, I just have to take the bike down to the shop so they can do a full tune-up of it. I haven't been on the tri-bike again since last uh, September at Ironman 70.3 World. So it's been a while. Um, pedals, I have the Vector 3 pedals. That's where I get my power data from on the tri-bike. Um, the bike is equipped with mechanical Tegra. Um, I have a set of training wheels, but for the most part, I'm just on the trainer, so those are irrelevant. Uh, and I race with Head Jet Plus wheels. Um, I have a set of 40 millimeters deep front and back. And then if it is uh, not too windy of a day, or mostly if it's allowed, I also have a head jet plus um, disc wheel for the rear. Um, for the most part, I ride that bike entirely. Well, I ride all my bikes now with a wax chain. Um, using Silka's wax, I do the hot wax melt, and then I do their uh, Silka's just the applicator of um wet wax in between uh maybe you know you can get you can get quite a lot of mileage in between especially if you're indoors or just riding on clean roads just doing it that way um, my saddle specialized power saddle which i think is really comfortable i ride it on all my bikes except for my gravel bike but that i hope to change in the near future it's just it's the right saddle for my behind it works well um uh, in terms of hydration, I do have a bottle mounted between the aero bars, and um, I sometimes will put like an elite bottle on the down tube, depending upon the race. All right. Oh, and helmet. 
My helmet is a smith. Yep. I don't remember the name of it, but it's a smith. All right. Yeah, my saddle, I have the a Physique Arion TT2, I think. And I've been riding the same saddle for at least a decade. So I'm due for a new saddle this winter also. Well, if you stick with what works, that's candidly the best thing you can do, unless they don't make that one anymore. But if you are looking for something new, the Specialized Power Saddle is pretty neat. And um, I don't know if all the Specialized Saddles do, but I think most of them do at this point. Have like There's two little mounting holes in the back, and it's really cheap to buy their mounting bracket for a, a behind the... Uh, saddle bottle or you could put you know bike tubes whatever else you need to attach there as well so it's really cheap cost effective and their saddles you know sometimes with specialized it feels like you're you're paying a specialized tax but i feel like their saddles are pretty well priced yeah i'm, I'm looking at the s-works power saddle or possibly the satero and i think if i i need to measure the sit bone distance that i've got but i think that if i get the small the narrow version of the satero that's probably what I'm leaning toward. I've ridden so. that one. That one doesn't have very good reviews. Definitely try it out first. Like the Sotero has is like I don't know why. I've ridden it. I didn't like it and I checked out just feedback of it online. It gets crapped on constantly. Hmm. So okay. interestingly enough, it might work for people. So if it works for you, write it. That's the most important thing. But go to a specialized shop and get a demo. And the other thing if you're trying specialized or any, like one thing is to strongly consider. So I have the expert version of the power saddle. My next one, I'm going to get the comp. And the reason why, so the Expert has, it's almost like the S-Works version. It has the carbon shell, but it has the metal uh, rails. The S-Works version is carbon and carbon, so you save a little bit of weight. But when you go down to the comp, like their cheaper entry point, it is with a plastic, nylon, whatever it might be, shell, metal rails. So you, it's a little bit heavier than carbon, but carbon saddle that I have doesn't flex at all. And I wish that I would have picked a cheaper, save money, saddle, get a little bit of additional weight though, that has a small amount of flex in it. Right. So like test ride them all a little bit. Um, also it has a high, it has on the specialized saddles on the comp version, it has a slight bit more padding. When you get to the S-Works, they're pretty much just like skinned. There's no padding on them. So you're getting a harder surface and absolutely no padding um, and it might it might help you in your weight um, and it's pretty cool to look at but i don't think it's always the most comfortable or the right choice for most people maybe for you keith but not for most people yeah i'm i'm pretty narrow and so i've discovered that a lot of the saddles that are popular out there especially like ism saddles i can't I can't fit on them and so the uh, i generally enjoy a, a saddle that has no padding because i can uh, it actually doesn't like, I feel like if there's too much padding, it, it like is too wide. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So same type uh, of thing happens, happens to me. I actually ride the 143 millimeter power saddle and you, it's just, I just want it in. I just want to have a comfortable spot to sit. I don't need a, don't need a big seat at all. Right. So uh, on the run, um, right now I, I just bought a pair of the ultra vanish carbon and I really like them. Um, they don't feel quite as springy as like a Vaporfly, um, but they also seem like they're a little bit more maneuverable than the Vaporfly. So um, I previously had the Asics um, Metaspeed Edge, not the Sky. The Edge is the Cadence shoe that they have, 
and I really like those. I think it's great for short distance, like 5K, 10K, um, but you can definitely tell that there's not as much bounce back with the with the edge. So my next shoe, I'm going to try the, the Sky just to kind of see the difference. Um, so right now the Ultra seems like a nice in-between the uh, the Vaporfly and the Edge. It's a it's a little bit more bouncy than the Asics, um, but it also turns similarly without uh, kind of being tall and feeling like you're on stilts like the, the Vaporfly. Okay. Um, for me, on my run, so for triathlons, I've used most recently, and I know we're all going to be talking carbon shoes. So the 4%. I've used the Alpha Fly. I've used the Next Percent. Most recently, Chicago Marathon, I was using the Alpha Fly. Uh, I think, you know, I had a pretty bad dose of um, plantar fascia, uh, fasciitis over the after the Chicago Marathon, and I don't know if that's a Chicago, if that's a Nike issue, and how my foot reacted and responded, or if that's just a 26.2 mile issue or not. But moving forward, I want to try. A different shoe i'm most interested in right now and trying the a6 metaspeed sky or the sky plus i i'm not sure which one would make the most sense a little bit of extra cushion probably is the right way to go for me um but i don't i don't know if it's warranted i think um there is also another asics that they they're playing to release in december i forget the name of it but it is a very similar shoe um structure or layout as the Metaspeed Sky. It actually has a stack that's greater than, what is it, 35 or 40 millimeters. So it wouldn't be legal for, you know, if you're a professional running, um, but it's pretty much that shoe with a slightly different foam at the bottom to provide the stability that the carbon plate would, but it doesn't have a carbon plate. So I'm almost interested or curious to know if, if my foot issue from Chicago was developed because of the carbon plate. And I might try that shoe as well. So that's, that's kind of where I'm heading sunglasses. I wear a hat cause I'm bald and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And, uh, I, I forgot a stride pod also. So, oh yeah. And my, I don't have a stride pod anymore cause I lost it in a hotel, but I have a Garmin 955 that I'll wear throughout the entire race. All right. Well, I think that, uh, that wraps up the gear. Um, and uh, I think that we, we covered pretty much everything. Did you want to hit on the, the updated PTO rankings post St. George before we finish up? Yeah, I haven't seen them, so I'll pull them open right now. Where, where did everything shake out at? Not a whole lot happened, but Taylor Nib, I was trying to look at her results, and I think she must have only had two scores, and that's why she was so far down, but she jumped from 44th to 4th after that race. Um, and so I mean, she should looking... be number, she should be one or two in my opinion. Yeah. Um, uh, I honestly think she's, even though she hasn't done an Ironman distance race, I like these points are somewhat skewed to being at those big races, being at Ironman races. Who's, who would beat her though? In an Ironman? I Nobody. mean, maybe Dan, maybe Daniela <laughs> has a chance if she showed like Daniela did it in May in St. George, she rode away from the field. She was the strongest person there. Maybe Cat Matthews yeah. can compete with her once she's back and healthy. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anybody right now. I think at at seventy point three, um, she's the best. Uh, so I mean, Ashley Gentile, like she's fast. Like I want to see her do an Ironman too. 
Yeah, and hopefully that's coming in the next couple of years. She can she can so. run quick. She can swim. She can hang in there on the bike. Only she can. That's the problem. Like it's almost it's almost like Taylor Nib is the first of. Well, she's not the first because we've seen it many many times, and Daniela has been doing it, or has done it in the past. She's like the only Uber biker though out there right now that will bike away from everybody. Yeah. And she's um, gonna swim at the front. Right, and that's the biggest thing is is getting that that jump after the swim, to uh, to get away. Um, for the men, basically nothing happened. The first fifteen are all exactly the same, and Ben Canute jumped from twenty eighth to sixteenth, and that was really the only he was only the only major mover uh, I, after the weekend. I agree with that. Like, let's not overreact to one race because he hasn't had a good year. But if he shows up in, in either Arizona or Indian Wells, so if he does a full, it would be interesting to see how he performs. It would be his first. Or if he shows up in Indian Wells and just backs up what he did at Worlds, then he he should he should move up quite significantly. He hasn't had a great year, but if, if his form is coming around and he demonstrates it multiple times, he should jump up into the top 10, top, top 5 even, or close to. Yeah, easily. Just because also the, the PTO gives you a 10% bonus for your best full distance so ben's third race is only 87 points his current average is 96 so if he has a good full scores in the high 90s and then gets the 10 percent bonus then you're looking at a race that's over 100 and you know that's going to jump him up six points give or take which would move him to number nine you know yeah so um but who knows? It's actually because cool. we don't know how many points everything is worth. We don't, but it's actually cool. Like usually I feel like at this point of the year, there's not a lot to look forward to. But hey, at least there's like there might be two more races to watch. Yeah. So excited for that. Yeah, for sure. So everybody stay tuned for those. We will preview. We will talk more about those. And now both of us are in our off season. And uh, yeah. we'll talk more about our off-season, what's going on in future episodes, and continue to provide hopefully helpful tips and coaching advice for everyone listening. Yeah, and don't forget to watch WTCS Bermuda this weekend. It's the second-to-last race in the series. It's the most important thing I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> Me too. All right. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you all later. All right. Thanks, everybody.